Well, good afternoon. Good to see you all here today on a beautiful summer day, southwestern Montana. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, turn to the book of Matthew, continue on our adventure uh, through Jesus' inaugural message, if you will, one that's been known as the Beatitudes, which we uh, finished the first portion of it last week and moving right along into another section that he set us up, shall we say, in uh, describing what would be necessary for verses 13 through 16. But we're going to read once again, beginning at uh, chapter 5, verse 1, and then uh, going through to verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, beginning now at verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. May God add a special blessing reading of his word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we're thankful this opportunity we have to gather in this place. As we worship in song and praising your name and lifting it on high, we're also here with a great deal of gratitude for you to have given us your word, the Bible, to show us, tell us who you are first and foremost, and then literally telling us how we should live. We thank you for the consistency of your word, the fact that you are not an author of chaos. Father, you are one that is fully and completely in control. You are awesome, omnipotent, and unreal in the sense of power. Father, we just thank you for what you're going to do today. We ask that you take our hearts, our lives. For these moments, we ask, Father, that you take all of us, that you would encourage us through the word, that you would give us a filling in the sense of a relationship that we've never been closer to you than these moments. We thank you for what you're going to do. We know that the power of the Holy Spirit is here, and we would ask that he and he alone would be our teacher this afternoon. We pray for those that have come out this afternoon, that you would bless them, their families, be with them in their challenges, all of the the difficulties and circumstances that may be arising in their life, that you would quiet them and let them know that you love them. You are the author of peace and comfort. And now, we rest in you as we go to the Word, asking again for you to illuminate and enlighten us into the power of the Scriptures. And these things we'll ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the verses that we're going to be looking today are, which I've noted, is uh, verses 13 through 16. And uh, sometimes we pop right into those. And speaking of salt and light, uh, those two things, actually the Romans consider to be the greatest things was salt and the sun. They said, without those two, nothing else would work very well. Absolutely true. In fact, uh, uh, the Romans actually paid soldiers with salt. I don't know if you knew that or not. But interestingly enough, that's where you've heard this statement probably, he isn't worth his salt. That's exactly what it came from, was the fact that uh, he wasn't worth what we were paying him. I'll not go any further with that uh, particular expression, but that's interesting to see a lot of those... uh, Those little sayings are coming a lot of times from situations that are long ago, and we sometimes wonder, why why did we say that? There's usually a really good reason for it. Um, But 
But we didn't just start in verse 13. We, uh, we started back in chapter 5, verse 1, and Jesus had gathered up a whole lot of people. And it wasn't just gathering them up to set them up and talk to them. He had gathered them because of what he had done in the sense of walking and talking and teaching and healing and comforting those that had challenges. And they have, as it says, there was a multitude, and, and it's hard to say exactly how many, but it's thought somewhere between 10 and 40,000 people would have been gathered at this event. That's hard for us to grasp, and no microphone. Jesus went up in the mountain, and that makes sense too, doesn't it? He's up a little higher, the people were below him, and then he gives what would be, again, I've said this every time we've spoken the last number of weeks, I think this is our eighth or ninth session in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, but this was an inaugural address. The people were wondering, what is he going to tell us? Is he going to lead us out from underneath the dominion of Rome? Are we finally going to see the kingdom that we've been waiting for for so long that was spoken to us of in the Old Testament? And he gave a seminar, if you will, on how to be happy. I'll bet the ears were, it would work in the United States for a while until they heard what Jesus had to say. And he would say the same things today in the fact of he's speaking about happiness. And then he starts off and says, blessed are the poor in spirit of the humble. I'm sure that everyone said, what is going on? What is this guy talking about? How could that possibly make me happy? But he doesn't stop there. There's about eight or nine other characteristics that he speaks of that will make you happy. And they seem rather absurd. Uh, those that are humble, and I tell you what, God can use you in more ways than you can imagine if you come to him in humility. That is the place that you have set yourself up to be used and to find God ultimately, the first and foremost. And then it talks about blessed are those that mourn. And not just mourning to be weeping or be sad, but literally taking that sin problem which you can't fix and to be sorry about it, to be mournful over it, followed by meekness. I love to be around meek people. Now, in our society today, oftentimes meek equals weak. But that is not the case at all. Meekness is literally looking out for the other person, having the ability to do damage or to do something to, that would be, uh, shall we say, at your advantage, your power to take them down, if you will. Meekness doesn't do that. Meekness is elevating them even beyond what you may be because it's in their best interests. That is beautiful, and that's another term that Jesus, uh, no, not another term, but a characteristic that would describe Jesus Christ. I would have to say the meekest man in the world, the God-man, no less. But for him to do forever, no matter whose company he was in, he always did what was best for them. Now, some, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the best thing he would do for them is what he did right here is he went right to the heart. And he carved right away because they were pretty prideful. And I'll tell you again, God will work on pride more than anything else. He's got to get pride out of your life. And then uh, number four, when you're in that state of mind, if you will, when you're humble and mournful over your sin and meek, then it's natural that you would hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we talked when we spoke about it that week. Have you been so hungry that you can't imagine going much further? Or to be so thirsty that you need a drink, not yet, not now, like right now. That is exactly the terminology that Jesus would have been asking for us to be hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. And then, those that are pure in heart, and actually, if you follow and you chase after righteousness, then purity becomes yours. And then we talked about the one that seems sometimes, who of you wouldn't want to be a peacemaker? And no hands went up, just maybe you're scared that I've, I usually have some way of roping you in. So I was looking for that single hand. But no, this time I was very much out, out in the Excellent. Very good. Yeah, well, you need to be. You need to be. But the interesting part is if I told you that when you are a peacemaker, because this is, we talked about this quite a bit, a peacemaker always brings truth to the situation. If there's no truth that's come into a conflict, then there's nothing that's been, ever been solved, and you may have a ceasefire, but that's just the time to reload. It will not go well. Truth is always incorporated within peace. Always. But here's the thing. Jesus went on to say, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. What? Where did that come from? I'll tell you what. You show me a really true peacemaker, someone that knows how to be able to incorporate the sense of truth, and that person will also be persecuted. <laughs> it happens a lot. It really does. But now, it took a long time for us to review 
those 12 verses, and you say, well, no, that wasn't long. You basically spent eight weeks of our time in the sense of hour. It wasn't eight weeks solid, but we came here and spent probably an hour. But here's the deal. He couldn't have had verses 13 through 16 unless he sets up who we should be to be able to be the salt and light. If, if those characteristics that he's unfolded, unpacked, that we did over this last course of weeks, that's really literally what puts you in a position to be salt and light. There's a lot of things he promised as well. I love the blessing uh, or the happiness that he's promised. Kingdom of heaven, verse 3. Comfort, verse 4. Inheriting the earth, verse 5. Filling you with righteousness, verse 6. Giving you mercy, verse 7. Being allowed to see God, verse 8. Calling you his son, verse 9. And a great reward in verse 12. Now, all of those things, you add them up and you say, wow, we are so blessed. But let me tell you something. With that much blessing, there's also a responsibility. Isn't that the way life works? We have blessings. There's also responsibilities. Now, that responsibility is really dialed in by Jesus in verses 13 through 16. And we've already spoke of it, and that's to be salt and light. To be salt and light. Now, uh, let's describe for ourselves the world today. Briefly. Um, it's dying and decaying, isn't it? <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a way, I mean, we, we're so off the walls. And I'm not just talking in the last several months because it, it started before that. And Jesus here, he's talking to this multitude of people, and he'd do the same thing if he's sitting. If, actually, if he was here, I would be sitting there. I would be very close to him, and I want him to express and expound upon, to me, what's really important to God, because he was God, Emmanuel, God with us. I would want to know everything that he could tune me in to being closer to God. And he would say exactly the same thing. It starts on the inside. That's exactly what he would say. And literally, our world is dark, and it is decaying. And salt... Let's ask this question. I had a steak for, for dinner today. It was a good one, too. I love a good steak. And I was sitting down in my office. I was studying. See, I can study while I'm eating steak. I can do that. Not as well, probably. But so I'm eat, And you know what? There was something missing. It was a nice piece of meat, but there was something missing. It just wasn't quite what I like. It didn't need ketchup. didn't need A1 because it's a really good steak. And a really good steak doesn't need that. But it needed something that enhances the flavor and makes a flavor in and of itself, even though it's the same piece of meat, and you know what it was? Salt. I had to go get my salt shaker, and I put a little bit on, and you know, it doesn't take a lot, does it? That's what's really cool. You may be, you today may be totally overwhelmed by the sense of, may it be Black Lives Matter, may it be just levels of chaos that are literally just stripping our country of the constitutionality of where we're at, living with liberties and all the freedoms that we've been granted by those that went before us. And sometimes you just feel overwhelmed. What can I do? I've heard that question myself. I even say, but listen, listen carefully. Jesus said, you are the salt. It's amazing to me with, and again, this is maybe not the best analogy, but I love a good steak. And, and, I, and you look at this, it was, it was a good chunk of steak, too. It was a nice big one. <laughs> but in relationship, if I weighed that steak and then I weighed the salt, it's just a little bit. But it changed it all. And that's what Jesus is really saying. Do you know what? If you really are the salt of the earth, now he uses the word earth, not the world in the sense of the system with which we find ourselves engaged, because we need to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus spent quite a bit of time in John 17 talking about that. But here we have him saying, you are the salt of the earth. Thinking of that, you don't have to, over, you don't have to overpower it. The very sense of what he's saying, what, what would you say that salt did to that piece of meat today, that steak? What did it do? It influenced it. And that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to be when we're salt of the earth is to be influencers. Influencers. That's literally when we talk about salt today, I want you to think of it in that light. That is, it is a way to influence those around us. Now, the other thing I'd like to, uh, this isn't maybe super big deal, but I was thinking as well, studying today, um, how God uses ordinary little things to create and to make pretty grandiose results. Now, let's just go back all the way to the beginning, at least, well, it's not the way of the beginning because there is no beginning with God, but he's, he's spoken existence, the earth, the stars, the animals, 
All of the things that he's created, and I tell you what, it just blows my mind, the intricacies of the detail and design of creation. That to me is just, and the, and the deeper we dig into it, the more we understand, the more we know we don't know. And there was a designer behind it. I love that. It, to me, it just speaks of volumes of an awesome creator. But as we think about that, there's one thing missing that God had said, even way back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He had seen, before he made anything, mankind. And he'd already designed the only way to get back in fellowship with God was through Jesus Christ, his very son, that would die to, to, to basically come to him. That's before he made him. Uh, we've talked about this the last several. I probably wouldn't have made him. If it would have cost that much, I wouldn't have made him, right? I'd just start over. But that's not who God is. He's full of love, affection, and adoration. But so this, this, this key piece, this masterpiece that God's going to put on the wall of creation, what's he going to make him out of? Gold? Silver? Platinum? You see, God could have made anything, anything we can't even probably even know about in the sense of precious. No! He reached down and he took dirt and made man. See, that's even more phenomenal to me. You start with dirt and you create the human race? Isn't that crazy? You guys aren't impressed. <laughs> and he could have spoke him into existence, but it's interesting, he used dirt, he used soil, he used that to make man. Isn't that something? It's powerful. Something very ordinary, but with extraordinary results. I think of the, the Israelites. They're backed in a corner. On one side of the valley is the Philistines, and on the other side is the Israelites. And there's this, this, this conflict coming, and every day the Philistines are coming just a little bit closer, and they're asking for someone, I want your best man, and you can fight Goliath. And you didn't have to look, look for Goliath. You saw Goliath. Because he's like nine foot something. I, should, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but he's a big dude. And every day, it tells us in the scripture, he gets a little bit closer, and the taunts become louder. What's God going to do here? Now, the biggest man that Israel had at that time was the king, and his name was Saul. He was heads and shoulders. In fact, it talks about him when he's anointed king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. So this seems logical. Just put on your biggest armor, your biggest sword, and let's go duke it out. No, 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 no. God had a bigger plan. He went and got this little shepherd boy, and he needed a couple of rocks. And literally just one, but you took a couple just in case you missed. But he didn't miss. And think of that. And the battle's over. See, God used little things to create big results. And you know why he does that? I'm not going to tell you quite yet because I've got a couple others to tell you about. How about if you had the Son of God, the most impressive, the most outrageous in the sense of perfection and wonderfulness, where would you have him to be born under what circumstance? Oh, I'd pick a pretty expensive kind of a, you know, the spot. I mean, the spot where all of the population, all of the news media, all of those would come in and could photograph and to Google and just, right? Are you with me? No, he came to a peasant girl who was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years of age. And then he was born not even at home. They were traveling and was born in a stable. The Son of God. Wow. Wow. God does little things, or uses uh, very ordinary things to create amazing things. And then Jesus. You know, have you noticed, as I get older, I'm having to use these more? <laughs> I'm not happy about it either. <laughs> but anyway. Now, let's say Jesus now, he's, uh, he gets to be 30 years of age approximately, and it's time for his ministry to unfold. Who would you pick to surround yourself with, I would call the inner circle, to develop and to push, shall we say, and to let the message be told by everyone? Well, I'd probably pick somebody that knew what's going on, they're educated, they look good, they can handle themselves in public. They would be somebody that would be just pretty astute, right? Now... <laughs> Jesus picks some uneducated Galileans, fishermen, there are a lot of them fishermen, to do that. Isn't that amazing? And yet it makes more sense the further down you go because, you know, this is what I asked you before and I didn't answer it. Why does God do that? Because the more humility, the more weakness, the more ordinariness, when he accomplishes great things, guess who gets the glory? God. God does. You know, like little David... 
and this slingshot with Goliath, and he hits the dirt. And they can't say that David was an awesome warrior and just duked it out. The, no, this was God. In fact, David, being the smart little lad that he was, said, I'm not coming at you for me. I'm coming at you because the God of Israel is going to take this battle. This is his battle. Isn't that right? And when we take our complicated lives and we go to God with them and we say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle it, but I know you do. And I'm going to trust you no matter what, because you've said in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. I'm going to rest on that because you promised it. You see, all of a sudden, the salt now, and you look at, you know, if you were going to, what's the most important ingredient in the world? Rarely would someone say salt. And it was much more so in the sense of back when Jesus spoke because there was no refrigeration. See, salt acts as a, as a preservation. It's able to keep uh, spoilage at bay. It's able to, uh, what should we say, to retard a corruption. Okay? That's exactly in the world we find ourselves today. I'll tell you what. When you throw some Christ followers, you throw some disciples of Jesus Christ, and you know how I'm sprinkling, you know what, it doesn't take very many of those to be in a group of people to totally change and to, with, to, to, to ward off the challenges that that group would be going towards without them in the midst. That's what salt does. A little bit goes a long ways. And that's what Jesus has asked and told those that have ad adhered to the Beatitudes, if you will, that he can use them as salt. Now, actually, the word salt in the Greeks, the Greeks actually saw it as divine. Uh, Thelion was the name, the word that was used, and to think that was very held very high esteem in the sense of the Greeks. Uh, they, they saw it as being incredibly important. Now, again, I'm just checking. As I do this once in a while, I have little pop quizzes that I, I throw up here once in a while. But um, So when I say salt, you think. I, I, I did. I, said, I did say this a couple of times. When, you, when I say salt, you say. Pepper. You weren't listening either. <laughs> but, but most of you would have been right anywhere else except today. Yeah, I mean, that's what's really cool. You were right except here. Okay, Nice. It was nice, though. And we would. It's salt and pepper, right? That's really good. But that's not the answer here today, Bill. But nice try. I like the fact that you're open and ready to go. Okay, I like that. So what I said when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, I wanted you to think, because right away you're back in salt. What is salt to Jesus? Influence influence. When you act in the condition of those first 12 verses, guess what happens? Your life sticks out and a little bit will go a long ways in the sense of changing the atmosphere of where you're at. I'll tell you a quick little story. I don't know if I get all the details right, but the president Woodrow Wilson years and years ago, and I don't know where he was in the sense of his, his life, but on this particular day, he found himself in a barber shop. And sitting beside him, some gentleman walked in. And there was, I'm assuming that there was a couple of uh, chairs in this particular old barber shop. And as he was sitting there, this gentleman that came in, just something changed about the atmosphere. Because I'll say this as well. I'm going to interrupt the story for just a second. It just popped my head. Do you know each and every one of you that are here today, because God has given you life, you are an influencer. Your life changes when you rub persons with other people, and their lives are changed. From the day that you're, uh, the days that you're given on earth, you change other people. You may not even think about it that way, but something changes as your life is integrated and works and moves along with others. Now, the question is, is it positive or is it negative? Does it add flavor like to that steak? You see what I'm saying? To, to enhance, to bring something out that makes it even better and more delicious about life. Now, you, you see, I'm incorporating some analogies, but let's come back, come back, back to the story. So here's this guy sitting beside Woodrow Wilson, both getting their hair cut. And this guy, he said, Woodrow said there's something different about him because he wasn't, it, the, what the speech was about, it wasn't eloquent, it wasn't anything like that. But what he said and asked, you could tell he was very interested in the person that was cutting his hair. There was something that changed in that whole room. And even when this man left, Woodrow Wilson hung around to just see the conversation after that man left. And he said it was amazing. There was an upbeat. There was an enlightenment. There was something that changed because of that man's conversation and his just being there. 
That man was D.L. Moody. And he said, I took a great liking to that man that I met just out of the blue on that day. That would be exactly what Jesus would be talking about when you talk about you are the salt of the earth. And the really cool part is, is he can use just a little salt to go a very long way. To go a very long way. I think of something, and thinking of preservation for a moment, um, I'm not going to turn there, but just uh, in, in your minds, turn back in your Bible to, uh, are you visual people or, or can you just handle it here? See me, I got to put everything on the blackboard of my mind. For me, I, I, isn't that weird? That's why I have to have a whiteboard. I got to put it on the board and it's got to go in and then I can see it. If I can see it, I can see it. So actually when I turn back to Genesis, I literally in my mind go back to Genesis. I got to see it in my mind. Well, that was off the course for a little bit, but there was, do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And God came to Abraham. And he said that we're, I'm going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And at, at Abraham had a great comment. He said, would you destroy it if there was 50 righteous people, 50 people who were following God within that whole city? No. No, I'm not going to do that. And then you know, uh, it took a long time to get down to 10, right? It was 45, and it was 40, and then it was 30, and then it was, it went, you know, ching, ching, ching. And he would say, forgive me, one more time. Because it must have been something that he saw or knew that there probably wasn't that many. And he got down to 10, and God said this, if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy it. Now think of the implication of that. Now it was destroyed, which tells us what? There was less than 10 people. In fact, in fact, God saved those. Lot tried to get his wife out and their kids, right? Three of them survived out of the whole city. So my point is not to dwell on that as much as it is this. Did you see the importance of the preservation of righteousness in an entire culture? It's crazy, isn't it? Pretty wild. It has a, a little bit, goes a long ways. Um, let's turn to John 17 for a moment. I'm not sure exactly even on the verses where we'll end up, but John 17 um, The high priestly prayer. Um, I think we'll start. Let's start in verse 14. John 17, verse 14. Uh, Jesus is praying these things. And he's including a lot of different aspects because he's soon going to be leaving. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word. Speaking of those that are following him as disciples. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, even Jesus is saying, now we're not supposed to be isolated from the world. We are to be insulated. Huge difference. Jesus said we are to be salt. You are salt. We think of also other characteristics or things that salt does. We talked about flavor already. <clears throat> we talked about it in the sense of a preservative. There's something else that did it. You know, as I was eating this steak, and it was, it was quite good. I mean, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a record breaker, but it was really good. It was really good. But you know what it did when I had salt on the meat and it, it permeated? Oh, how much could I see the salt that I put on the meat? Well, of course, immediately you could see. But what did it do? No, it acts very silently, doesn't it? Not loud. It's just, there's something different. But you know what? The other thing I had to have, rather shortly, I had a great piece of meat. I got my salt, flavored it. You know what else I had to have almost immediately? A really nice cold ice water. Ah, now it's all working, isn't it? You know what? That's what salt does as well. It creates thirst. And when you are the salt of the earth, acting in the sense of humility and meekness, and all of the things that Jesus laid out as being characteristically very important to affect and to influence, remember that word, influence, the people around you, it will create a thirst for what? For the one that said, I am the water. I am the living water, Jesus Christ. It literally drives them to the source of life, to the source of life. As salt is very silent, there's no fanfare, 
It's amazing how effective it is in the sense of influencing those around us. Now, uh, I find it interesting. Let's go back to Jesus now. Again, we find contextually or uh, contextually, you, he, the situation time-wise is there's a whole lot of things going on, and the Israelites, the Jews, are very upset because they're no longer their own people. I mean, and they're not in control, shall we say. The Romans are lording it over them. And they have been, you know, they know themselves to be the chosen people. When is this going to end? When is this Messiah going to come? And I'm sure that's why the scribes and Pharisees were there, because Jesus had been, they had been talked about, just, you know, kind of, I think this is the Messiah. Look, did you see, did you see him heal, heal my friend yesterday? Did you see that? That doesn't just happen. There's just something about him. You know, another thing I love about Jesus Christ, as much as he had to do in three years, that ministry, that journey that he was on, one thing that always I love to see is he was, when there was little children, he brought them around him. Don't you love that? He was always there ministering to those young children. Always doing what's best. Anyway, so he's going to have to have something in this speech about politics and making this thing right. Now, I'll spare you the details, but if you start in chapter 5 and you go through chapter 7, that would be known what would be the Sermon on the Mount. This was this huge event. How much was talked about about politics? <laughs> Zero. Zero. And I'm here to say, if we're looking to improve our world through politics, through rewriting of laws, protesting, Whatever it might be, if you think you're going to change the world, ultimately, not saying there's anything wrong with some of that, but it will not accomplish literally anything. And that's why Jesus went where? Right to the heart. Right to the heart. He wanted to get to where literally changing can happen by infiltrating it with godliness, wisdom, holiness, and righteousness. And that comes from the inside. And again, as, as that, I'm going back to D.L. Moody in that, in that barbershop chair. Didn't announce even who he was. But when he came in, his character changed the place. Why? Because he was from the inside out. From the inside out. That's exactly how God wants us to be when he's asking us to be salt to the earth. Salt is quiet but powerful. It's hidden. You really can't see it at all, even though it's done its work. It works secretly and quietly. But then he says something else. So far, how are you guys doing on the salt part of it? I like it, right? And, and by the way, I've noticed that as this is described, and those characteristics that Jesus Christ has laid out as being important for those to, first of all, to be salt... I like to be around those people too. Those that are humble and those that are meek and those that are really interested in hungering and thirsting after righteousness and letting their lives be used by God in other people's lives. I like to be around those people. They're fun to be around. And then he says something else. He said, not only are you salt, you're light. Very, very different in how, it, how those two things correspond. Salt is like you live it. Not a lot of announcement. You just do it. Remember when, that one Nike commercial? Goes through all of these, you know, these moves and all of this stuff on the television, these athletics and all of this. And then at the end, it's just, uh, and you'll, don't forget it because it's so succinct, just do it. <laughs> That's literally what Jesus is saying when he said, you are the salt of the, wor- of the earth, is when he unfolds and unpacks for them what he wants a follower really what should look like. He says, just do that, and you will be the salt of the earth. Light's different. Light is different. Have you been in a dark, dark, in fact, probably the darkest place I've ever been in was in, uh, it's a cave in South Dakota, and you drive 9 million miles to get there because there's signs I was, a, I was probably like, I don't know, 10 years old or something. And, you know, you're three kids riding in the back seat, and dad's driving. <laughs> By the time we got to the, what is it, the Wonder Cave or Wonder, 
what, it's wonder something. It's a wonder anybody goes there. Is what my thing. But anyway, and, it, and it, it's in the Black Hills somewhere. And and we're you know we're gonna go and we're gonna see this cave. By the time we got there, my dad did not want to even go because he was so sick of hearing about getting in this. How far away is it, Dad? How far away is it, Dad? How far away? It, I don't know. We're going, and we finally get there. And we, I don't remember the whole thing, but we went down, and then they said, turn all the lights off. I, it, the Lewis and Clark Caverns are actually, uh, it's much the same. Have you guys done that one probably? It's pretty close. And you get down to wherever we go, and then they turn all the lights off. That is so dark that it's beyond dark, right? It's dark of dark. And then in both of those situations, this, I think this one guy had a candle, and the other one had a small flashlight. It looked so bright. It was amazing. Right? You guys with me? See, light is, it's loud, if you will. It doesn't talk, but it's loud. And it pierces darkness. It changes the situation of which it is. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you are those characteristics of verses 1 through 12, in Matthew, that Jesus first of all unfolded, he's working on the inside, the heart end of people. And when those characteristics are, you know what you will look like in the year 2020 on this earth? You will be amazingly a bright light. People want to see the light, the truth. Just as that, and there was a lot of people. I remember, it was almost a little bit eerie. And I don't remember, there's probably 30, 40 people down there. And it's so dark. And no one knows where anything is. That sounds like our political system today. No one knows where anything is. We're just bouncing off the walls. Truth is gone. It takes the light to start to shine and to see and to understand what's taking place. Well, let's, uh, let's go look at the scriptures for a moment. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John written by uh, the Apostle John. Followed Jesus around three years. What a guy. 1 John chapter 1. And let, we'll start in verse 5, actually. It'll be a great place to start. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. There very, shall we say, abruptly and boldly, it describes for us very clearly that God is light. Let's go back to the Psalms, Psalm chapter 36. We'll start there. Psalm 36, verse 9. Psalm 36, 9. David, having written this one, verse 9. For with thee, speaking of God, is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Clearly, the manifestation of God is involved because he is light. Now, by the way, we are asked to manifest God. That is to show God through our lives. And how do we do that? Literally walking in his light. Then in Psalm chapter 119, turn over to Psalm 119 and verse 105. And you can discover Psalm 119 or about three or four pages in your Bible probably. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 105. It says this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God is light. The word is light. Now let's look at one more. Let's go back to John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We'll find out a little bit more about light. John chapter 1 and verse 4. John 1, the gospel of John. We were in the first John to start with, but John, the gospel of, uh, verse 4 of chapter 1. In him, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that being Jesus, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. 
That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Think of that for a moment. Uh, that light, Jesus Christ, literally, the availability of salvation is available to all because that light was sufficient to handle anything that could come at them. Now, turn over, same, same, chap, or same book, John chapter 8. Jesus says something, describing himself even, John chapter 8. Now, this I find interesting. We talked a little bit about, um, maybe in weeks previous, um, during an opportunity that Jesus was teaching in the temple, and boom, out of the blue, here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're dragging this woman in, which they said was caught in the act of adultery. And we, we went through that whole thing. Lots of questions, and, you know, he's writing on the ground, and all of a sudden those guys leave kind of from, the, I'm going to say from not only, probably the smartest to the not so smart. Where did everybody go? Where did everybody go? Right? And then he says this, after that whole episode, we'll, we'll kind of tie it in contextually. He said in verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none, he's seeing nobody there now con condemning this woman, but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those, that, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No, man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now watch. The next, word, the next verse, Jesus spake again unto them. In other words, this was a bit of a parenthesis. He's teaching, and all of a sudden, here comes this. It'd have to be messy, wouldn't it? I mean, they just bust through the door. He's teaching all of a sudden, bust through the door. And the Pharisee said, Drag this woman in, throws her down. Says, what does the law say about someone who's committed adultery? That'll mess with your game, won't it? Right? What? Let me be honest. That's, that's, and they thought they had him. And you know who left? They did. And now the woman is there and the rest of the people, which I'm sure would have went, what's he going to do with that? Watch what he says the next line as he unfolds this thing. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Does that not wrap up a very touchy situation? Jesus pointing to the fact that he is light. Turn over to chapter 9, verse 5, same book. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 5. It seems like John has a lot to say about light. John chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus again, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Turn back to Luke. Luke chapter 1. There was a man that had been waiting for, the, for the, the coming of the Messiah. And when it was brought to this, to this man, which I'm failing to remember his name right now for whatever reason. You remember? Anyone? Chapter 1. Oh, I'm in chapter 2. That's what's messing me up. Just hang with me. I'll get there. Um, let's see. Yeah, in this case, actually it was. His father, Zacharias, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying. And he goes on to describe this. Now, I want us to, to just do the lack of time. Let's turn all the way down to verse 77. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 77. These are words of Zechariah. He says this under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To get, and I'm, verse 76, I'm sorry. And thou, child shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, watch, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Light is always our guide to life. So, how can we be the light of the world. Is it our light? I mean, are, are, you, are you trying to find some way to, to, to get your own light going and to shine? No, don't bother. That's a waste of time. You can't find those in Walters, in the harvester. They're not there. Or anywhere. Yes, the light comes from within, but it comes as a result of being connected to Jesus Christ. Now, I will say this. Just as our sun reflects off of the moon, and it gets very bright, doesn't it? Like a full moon. There's something about that, isn't there? It's just so, especially on a clear night and it's calm. 
a full moon. I remember a couple of times that Lisa and I, this has been back a couple of years. In fact, uh, this month we'll be married 37 years. Wow. She's just about got me broke in. But I remember a couple of nights uh, up uh, Paradise Valley, we were out on a date and just looking out the car window at a full, illuminous, beautiful moon. There's something about it, isn't there? It's pretty grandiose. And literally, the same condition is really what makes for us to be a light of the world is when our hearts reflect the light of Jesus Christ. The cleaner, the pure, I don't even like the word, I don't think it's in the dictionary, but you can look if you like, shinier. Is our there, is there word called shinier? The shinier that our heart is, and I'm uh, with apologies, but not very many, that that is the way that for us to be even more highly lit is when our hearts are shinier. How do we do that? By continue to be focused on Jesus Christ. The more we're focused on him, guess what? The more reflective his light is in our lives, and it's it permeates wherever we're at. Uh, I think of Moses a little bit earlier on my notes, or later in my notes, actually, but it just came to my mind. Remember when Moses went up, went up the hill, I should say the mountain, to get the commandments, the Ten Commandments? And he was in the presence of God, a situation that I fully can't even understand it because no one can look on God. So it must have been, obviously, in a, in a, he was close, but certainly not the whole enchilada, shall we say. And yet when he came off the mountain... The people were afraid to look at him because his face shone. In fact, he had to put a veil on because he was too overpowering. Why? Because he was in the presence of God. And the more that we're in the presence of the Word of God and in the presence of Jesus Christ and focused on everything that has to do with thirsting and hungering after righteousness, guess what? Our life, literally, our hearts shine with the light of Jesus Christ. And it actually becomes loud, doesn't it? Light is very loud. It doesn't talk, but it's very loud. You show me, and, and that's the other thing. You know, I don't need these bad boys, these glasses, if it's really light. I mean, a good light. Like, I'm outside, I can read some really fine print. But if the light isn't right, got to have these babies. And more than I'd like. More than I'd like. Reflectors. Reflectors. Let's go to, with that in mind, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse 5. For we, Paul, of course, writing this to the second letter to the church at Corinth, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You know what he's doing? He's talking about spreading light. He's putting light. The gospel. Now watch verse 6. Watch. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That verse right there, get a handle on that one because that's literally what Jesus is expressing to do in Matthew chapter 5. The light that shined in our hearts. Now. We've talked about a plan. Jesus has unfolded this plan. He said, you, those that are, that are characteristically his from verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. But there's a potential problem here. A potential problem. There's actually list two problems potentially of both of these things that he's asked us to do. Salt and light. What was the thing that could happen... Let's go back. Let's, let's just go right back to the text. Let's let Jesus unfold it for us. Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at this. Chapter 5, verse 13. He just very succinctly says, You are the salt of the earth. Not anybody else. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? What's the risk? What's the problem? What if salt loses its saltiness? What if salt loses its saltiness? What if I would have put that on that steak and nothing changed? Of what value is it? I'm going to get rid of that salt, right? But what is Jesus getting at? Now, remember, coming back, a little pop quiz. When I say salt, you say not pepper. You say influence. So what's the way that we, as being disciples of Jesus Christ, can lose our influence with those around us? 
See, it helps us see that word a little bit better. Because when I say, what if salt loses its saltiness? And, I'm, you know, and you're, if you're on the same page as me, the last time I checked, any time I've ever used salt, I've never really seen it lose its saltiness. But I'll tell you how we can lose our saltiness or our flavor or our preservation or all the things that create that God has asked us to do. Jesus is asking, you know what happens? How can our influence be lost? By allowing sin to come into our hearts. Because pretty soon that takes effect. That takes, that takes too much time and energy. And literally, we aren't salty anymore. There's no difference. We are not influencers anymore. You know what also happens when you have a sin in your life? The very same thing that happens. Do you remember what he said about light? Let's, let, let's watch that. Matthew chapter 5. And let's look now. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. He did both of those. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If you go through, just as a side note here for a moment, if you go through Israel, and I, I don't know if I'll ever get to go there. We were close once, really close. We were a week away, but didn't happen. But they tell me that a lot of those little towns and those cities are built on a hill for a lot of reasons. They're easy to see, and they're easier to defend, correct? If there's nothing above you, it's a lot easier to defend. So he's saying literally quite just what fits the countryside in which he's finding himself speaking these words, that a city is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither, watch, neither do men light a candle. Think what, just, just get this visual. Light a candle and put it under a bushel, or in other words, cover it up. Okay, so I, I usually I like to have visuals around, but I didn't have one today. But if I was going to get a, a candle and I lit it, what's it for? What is that candle for? For light. No, how, how, how impressive would it be if I then if I just took, take one that's not having anything in it. I'm, I just dumped this garbage out. Now there's something in that one too. But just imagine I've got this light and the next thing after I lit it is I put this over the top of it. That doesn't even make any sense, right? Guess what? The same thing that we talked about in the sense when sin cuts our influence in the sense of salt, sin also doesn't make us quite as shinier, does it? We don't reflect as well. There's an opaque, there's something that's, that you, you know where I'm going. And that's what happens. Those are things we have to watch out for. Thankfully, First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, after, let's go back there. Let's put, pick, bring that back together here. I think it's really interesting that, that John, in First John, tells us anticipatory that some things happen. We're not perfect. If I was going to ask you how many of you guys had a perfect week, and hopefully not one hand goes up because that means you're not being honest and then you've got another problem, but you didn't. So we were safe. But literally, perfection is not part of the human race. It doesn't work that way, does it? Ever since sin came into our, into our uh, society through Adam, we are sinners. Even after we're saved, even positionally, after we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we still have that sin nature. Now watch 1 John chapter 1. We're going to continue to read. We're going to go back to verse 5 and where he started. Now I want you to read what he follows up with. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Again, notice, notice the connection between light and truth. Why is our world so messed up today? They can't. And you know what? They're They're blind. No light, no truth. They go together very nicely. That's a whole other uh, sermon for another day, but let's keep going. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, you know what? My mind goes this. What happens if I'm not walking in the light? That's right. And if I've trusted Christ, then did you see the word that he used in verse uh, let's get my glasses here a second. Verse 7, let's read it again. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. But if we're not walking in light, what are we doing? We're not in fellowship. That's a bad place to be if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not to be in fellowship. In fact, it's almost debilitating, isn't it? And it should be. But what he does beautifully now, watch what John is most interested in right now, is that person like me that thinks about that. If I'm not walking in the light, then I'm not in fellowship with him. What am I going to do next? And why am I not in fellowship? I'm not walking the light, which means what? I'm walking in darkness, which means I'm walking in sin. And there's not a person in this room that can just go the rest of your life not ever sinning. If you are, you're delusional. We'll talk afterwards. But John, and this is really cool, because watch now. Verse 8, if we say, in fact, he even says what I just, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's called delusional, right? 
and the truth. Did you see it? And the truth is not in us. Not only are you not walking in the light with his truth, but if you say you're not that you're not walking in darkness, but you are, then there's no truth in you either. How's your mind? Is it, is, it, is it okay or are we twisting it up pretty good? Good. I like it. Now let's go to verse 9. Watch. If we confess our sins, now he's speaking to Christians here. He's speaking to those that are trusted Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's how you get back in fellowship. When you, and I, I did some stuff this week, a couple of stupid things, and I'm like, what were you thinking? Have you ever had those what were you thinking moments? The one, what I want to do right then is I want to go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to confess that right away. Get it out of the way and say, God, I messed up. Bad. I've got to get clean. I've got to be back in fellowship. I want to walk in the light because you told me you wanted me to be light to the world. And that's the only way you can get in fellowship to be in the light because you have to walk in the light to be light. You see what Satan's been trying to do for so long? He wants to get you out of the light. Because if you're not in the light, there's no way for you to reflect the light. Isn't that good stuff? Yeah. Because it's from the Word of God. Ah, beautiful. He gives us the things that we need. Tools. That's right, tools. That's right, use your tools. I'm thinking, now I always like to have, uh, for me, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I want to have somebody that is a really good example of being salt and salt is what did we learn about salt. Salt is an and influencer. And thank you, Bill. You're catching on. He's it is an influencer. And is it loud? No, it's quiet. A little bit goes a long ways. Okay, very effective, isn't it? It works every time. I mean, if I, you know tomorrow, if I have a steak, which I'm hoping I will, because that's just who I am—a steak a day. I love it. Right now, I'm going to expect the same results. See, that's something else that our world has kind of happened now is the inconsistency and the lack of integrity in the people we find ourselves involved, right? Isn't it? It's amazing to me. We're not predictable. The only thing we're not, that's predictable is they're unpredictable. But tomorrow, if, if I take, it can even be a different salt shaker, but I'm going to get the same results. You see, that's what's really cool about being salt. There's no vacillation. It's the same. You keep moving on. You keep doing the same things with the same results. So I'm thinking of this person, and there's obviously many people, probably even our contemporaries in the world today. I mean, I can think of a lot. You can think of those people that have made a difference. This is the other thing I want to, to just settle into your minds. We talked about it a little bit. I'm going I'm to echo it again. You are an influencer just because you are living on this earth because we rub shoulders with other human beings. You are an influencer. So the question is, do you want to be a positive influencer or a negative influencer. And hopefully you chose the first. If you did, that's the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of this person that was salt. He was quiet. He was humble, but effective. You knew when this guy was involved because it just, ah. If you've been around those people, ah, right now, I'm glad I'm here right now. Isn't that good? And then he was also one that was still light. It was loud, but it didn't say anything necessarily. This man lived for a very long period of time, but he didn't live in his homeland. He was snatched out at a fairly early age. Things could have been very bad, very rough. How would if you, let's just ask you for a moment, maybe some of you even have, but think of the, the stress that may be coming in your life. Let's say at about 14 to 15 years old, all of a sudden, somebody invaded your land, took you and some other friends, and you went about 900 miles away, never to see your parents again. What would that be like? Now, it's even worse. It's even worse. You didn't get to go 900 miles away to people that thought like you and acted like you and a family like you. No, 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 no. You moved 900 miles to become like those people that invaded and took you over. And that man, that young, young man, actually survived about four different dynasties. And he was in the higher level of cabin, I'll just say cabinetry. He was just, he was very high up in each one of those power regimes. I got to think that Daniel is the one that probably cuts through to be salt and light better than anyone I know of. He was full of integrity. He was full of character. His life, and just a little bit of him went a long ways in a great way. Now, there's other people you can think of. A little bit goes a long way in the wrong way, right? There's some people I don't really care to be around too much because they pull me down. 
Have you, have you been around those? They just pull you down, and, and, you, and it's, oh, Lord God, help me to get re... Have you done that? I had one yesterday. God, I got to get refocused. I got to get re... And you know what? We want to be going a little bit a long way in the positive way. So that somebody says, ah, oh, that was refreshing. That was refreshing to be in their company. That was refreshing. Something interesting is Daniel always cared about others too, didn't he? You want to make a difference in your world? You want to be salt and light? Then be interested and concerned about other people in their situations. God can use that magnificently in building a world, especially this world we find today. It doesn't even, you don't even have to be a bright light to stick out today. Isn't it true? Absolutely true. Salt, there isn't any anymore. We've got a big job, don't we? But the really cool thing is, is God can use us, just ordinary people, to do extraordinary things because He is God. He's the one that gets the glory. When we focus on Him, the world changes, not because of us, but because of whose we are. And Jesus, would, this is what's really cool. He doesn't change. This, 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 this message was given over 2,000 years ago. And if we were sitting here today and Jesus was standing before you, he would say exactly the same things today. It's a heart thing, man. It's a heart thing. Get your heart right and other people respond the way I want them to. Make a difference. Be an influencer. Be faithful. Be a Daniel. For whose glory? For God's glory. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for God's glory. In fact, let's finish that. Let's go back to Matthew for one more time. I find this interesting as he unfolds this. Let's read the verses 13 through 16 and how it ends up. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Have you lost your influence? That is therefore thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under feet or foot of man. You are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth it light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the crux of the whole thing. When God gets the glory, you're better for it, and you become what he wants them to be. And just before we pray, um, I just, uh, this just came to my mind, so it's something I need to share with you. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting um, with a gentleman, called him on a different, it was another question that I was going to ask him about, and, and just the long and short of it, he told, and it was a man I didn't, personal life, don't know much about him, okay? But he told me, he said, my wife and I are having a lot of difficulties. In fact, she's moved out, and I've quit drinking, and I've made some changes in my life, but he said, she's gone. And I told him this, and I, I, I did do it, but I also ask you to do the same. I told him I'd be praying for him. I'm going to leave them unnamed because God knows who they are. But they have two girls, 10 and 13. I talked with him yesterday, just momentarily, and, he, and I, I told him just as we, it was another conversation about something else, and I said, how are the girls doing? And he said, Larry, thank you for praying. This is someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, Okay. That's what's really cool is, is there's a situation right now that I think he may find him. But let's pray for he and his wife. He says, I think it's working. Don't stop praying. I said, I'm not going to. But I'm going to even go further. I would ask you guys to pray for this family, for this family. Yep. So let's, as we pray about, and this is being salt and light, isn't it? Yeah. This is what salt and light looks like. It's not about us. It's about others giving them the love of Jesus. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love and your care. Thank you for all of the promises and the blessings that you've given to us. But also, as Jesus pointed out, we have responsibilities. He declared us to be those that have literally followed up, shall we say, and followed his way to be happy, to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus Christ, that then we are to be salt, that is, influencers, and light broadcasters, speaking, preaching the truth about the light. Father, uh, sometimes we, I know myself as well, that sometimes just the overpowering of a sin, something that has vexed us, 
something that is keeping us apart from being fully in fellowship with you, having our heart pure and clean, that we would go to 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9, and know that when we confess that sin, not only to just be sorry for it, but to repent and to change directions, that, Father, you're right there with your arms open to receive us and to re-enter us into a fellowship close and, and just... I can't even put my words together right now, but you wrap your arms around us in love and affection, wanting us to come back to you. And Father, immediately we are in fellowship, and then the light of Jesus Christ shines upon us and within us. And then we're able to fulfill what you've asked us to be, the light of the world. Father, this week we will be in contact, uh, each and every one of us in a different place, in a different direction, and who knows where we'll be. But it's with a great deal of encouragement we know that you give us the strength to be salt and light. May we take that very seriously. As I reach out, Father, for this, this man that I spoke again with yesterday, and his wife, and the two girls, 10 and 13, I would just ask, Father, that you wrap your arms around that family. As we lift him and his wife up in prayer, this two, the two girls, we would, we would ask that you would have your will and way with them, Father. And you designed the family. You designed husband and a wife. Father, our, our nation is struggling from the breakdown of the family. Just lift not only these up, but Father, our families across this nation, as we talked about last week, 85% of the incarcerated population grew up in a fatherless environment. Father God, it breaks your heart. We're asking you to heal, to bring together and to Shed your love abroad in their hearts. Father, thank you for this day as well as we just look with anticipation for what you're going to be doing in our lives. We're in a, we are blessed people in a troublesome time, which means you can do awesome things with ordinary people. Father, we're just coming before you with our humility and meekness before you, Father, knowing that in our weakness you can show strength. Take us and use us as you see fit for our good and your glory. We'll ask these things in Christ's precious and holy name.